three and four tonight finish the Old Testament. So uh, what a what a uh, milestone we have reached. We uh, started back when we were back in the restaurant in Lackey, Genesis chapter one verse one, and uh, we've worked through the uh, historical and prof- and the minor prophets. You know, so all the history of Israel and uh, uh, through the Old Testament, we did uh, we did skip the wisdom literature. Uh, and so next week, Lord willing, we'll go back and uh, pick up the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you want to read ahead, um, read the book of Ecclesiastes, 12 chapters. So uh, uh, if you read uh, two chapters a day, you'll be able to read through it before next week. And then we'll start studying through the, the book of Ecclesiastes. Wisdom literature is a little bit different than uh, uh, the narratives and the historical books and the prophetic books, and so uh, we'll talk a little bit about about that uh, uh, next week when we introduce Ecclesiastes, Lord willing. And uh, um, also uh, on uh, October 10th, Sunday night, October 10th at uh, either six o'clock or six thirty, six o'clock. The uh, Monroe Baptist Association annual meeting will be at the First Baptist Church of Amory, and uh, Dr. Sean Parker, who is who used to be the pastor of First Baptist Columbus, and now is the executive director of the missionary the Mississippi Baptist Convention, will be preaching. And if you remember way back, like in the 1980s, a guy named Dallas Holm uh, will be singing and doing the music. And uh, uh, if you remember the song "I Will Rise Again," Dallas Holm. He's got to be in his his 80s because he was old in the 80s and <laughs> or older than me. I was pretty young, but he's going to be there singing, doing the music, and uh, uh, so we won't have the Verona Bible Study on uh, uh, the the 10th of October. We'll meet over at the First Baptist Church of Amory at six o'clock for the Monroe Baptist Association meeting. And um, and related to that, Mike Bell, who is the Associational missionary, his wife passed away last night, so uh, his wife passed. So, um, also the mother-in-law of the pastor of First Baptist Aberdeen. Uh, right, so uh, Malachi chapter 13 is where we ended last week, and we will uh, read through the end of the book of Malachi, the end of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept His ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord, who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts. That will leave them neither 
root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. And behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now, if you remember back in the uh, book of Malachi, Malachi uh, uh, preaches a dialogical style of preaching where he uh, voices uh, accusation that the Lord gives to the people. He voices the people's rebuttal and then the Lord's answer to their, to their rebuttal. And the very first, uh, uh, the very first dialogue, uh, the Lord doesn't rebuke, but the Lord just declares His love. And how did the people respond to the prophet's declaration of the Lord's love back in chapter 1? Anybody remember? Yeah, they, they questioned God's love. The Lord says, I've loved you. And they said, well, in what way have you loved us? They expected, uh, you know, that uh, if God loved them, that things would go well for them. Uh, God is sovereign. God is in control. God is all-powerful. And if God chooses to love somebody, then those people should be able to expect everything to go good, to be easy, to be prosperous, for them to be healthy. And, and, uh, and yet the people coming back from the exile were experiencing very difficult times. Things were hard. Their city was still in destruction. They were struggling. The rebuilding was taking a lot longer than they had planned. Their neighbors were harassing them. And uh, they looked around, and their neighbors seemed to be prospering, and they were having a hard time. And so they questioned God's love. If God loves them, if God is all-knowing, if He's all-powerful, and He's all-loving, why aren't we experiencing better times? Why aren't we having better days? Why do God's people suffer when His enemies seem to prosper? And so they question God's love. And then as we went through the book of Malachi, we saw that the fact that they questioned God's love led them to uh, insincere worship. They got to the point where they were kind of just going through the motions and they, they weren't giving God the best. They weren't worshiping God as He demanded to be worshipped. They questioned His love and so they were half-hearted, double-minded in their worship, maybe keeping the best for themselves and giving the leftovers to God. And so their questioning of God's love resulted in insincere worship. They were treating the holy as common and the common as holy. They were being unfaithful to the covenant. And because of God's faithfulness, if they're unfaithful to the covenant, uh, God withholds blessing from them. You know, the, the covenant came with blessings and curses. And, and if you're half-hearted and insincere in your worship, you can't expect God to bless your insincerity. Uh, and so there was a cycle. People questioned God's love. And then because of God's love, they were half-hearted in their service of God. And then because of their half-hearted service, things didn't go well for them. Uh, God's discipline. And then uh, now they get to the point where they uh, are accusing God. And so the prophet says, Your words against me have been harsh, 
says the Lord. So the people now are speaking harshly against God, uh, voicing accusations against God. They are accusing God. And so your words, they've spoken harsh words against God. And, they, and the people rebuttal, or the prophet imagines their rebuttal, well, what have we spoken against you? And then they said, if you have said it is useless to serve God, what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance than that we have walked as mourners? And so, uh, um, uh, you know, and, and, and so the people kind of expect a, an economic trans- transaction. We serve the Lord. And the Lord pays us. <laughs> the Lord pays us for serving Him. And so it comes down to, a, to an economic business transaction. Uh, in the beginning, they questioned God's love because things weren't going as they expected. They were half-hearted in their worship, so they were experiencing more discipline. And, and yet they said, well, you know, we're serving the Lord. And they saw the serving, uh, serving of the Lord as a duty, as an obligation, as a chore, as a drudgery, something for which they must be paid or compensated. And so they say, we, we've served the Lord, but we haven't profited. We've kept His ordinance. We have mourned before Him, and yet we're not getting paid like we expected to get paid. So they're not serving out of the, the light of their heart. They're not serving because of their affection for God, their love for God, their desire to see God glorified. They're serving because they think they're going to get paid. They're going to get compensated. And, you know, last time we talked about the, the, the misuse of the tithing passage, you know, where, where people can be manipulated to tithe thinking that God's going to outgive them. And so if I give 10%, God's going to uh, shower with me with blessings. We talked a little bit about that last week. So, so they're asking themselves, what profit? They don't, they don't see serving the Lord as a privilege, but as a burden, as a duty, as an obligation, uh, that if they do it, that they'll get paid, they'll get compensated for it. So they're uh, expecting their wages. And their perception, even though they've been half-heartedly serving God, as we've seen through the book of Malachi, their perception is their service is useless. What profit? What have we gained from keeping the law of the Lord? What good has it been? Huh? That's exactly right. You know, we love the gifts, but not the giver. And we're going to serve because he pays well. Exactly. You know, Satan's accusation was, God, there's nobody that serves you because they love you. They serve you because you pay well. And you stop paying, they're going to stop serving. They'll curse you through your face and die. That's exactly right. That's very perceptive. That's exactly. So the people are accusing God of not compensating them for their hard work in serving him. God has withheld their wages. They don't have anything to show for all their service. They feel like their service was useless, fruitless, that they have served in vain. And so they accuse God of wrongdoing. Speak harshly against Him. Not only that, not only do they look at their circumstances, but they look at their neighbors who don't love God, who are pagan, who are God-haters, who are evil, who are wicked, and what's their circumstance? They're doing just fine. <laughs> They're doing just fine. Look at, look at our neighbors. Uh, the proud, the blessed, the arrogant. Those who raise up wickedness, uh, those who do wickedness are raised up. They're exalted. They're profiting. Those who tempt God, test God, 
They go free. And so they look at their circumstances and accuse God of wrongdoing, of actually punishing His people and rewarding those who do evil, those who do wicked. So they see serving God as an economic transition, a, bu- a business tra- transaction. Uh, we work, you pay. Uh, you pay us. You compensate us for your work. You are lucky to have us on your team and to doing service, and you should compensate us from that. And those who don't serve you, well, they should be punished. And so that's their accusation, or the prophet rebukes them. The prophet uh, makes this accusation against them. Now, you know, remember Malachi is using this dialogue as a method of preaching presenting an imagined argument that represents the actions and thoughts of the people. Uh, And now, you know, Malachi's done this for three and a half chapters, and now finally the prophet gets a positive response from his sermon, from his message. Uh, Up to this point, you know, the people have continued to rebuke and rebut, but now we see there is a faithful remnant in chapter 3, verse 16. The prophet accuses the people of speaking harshly against God, accusing Him of wrongdoing. And then verse 16 says, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And so they heard the prophet preach, and then they came together. The people responded. And they come together, a group of people who fear the Lord, come together and take counsel to one another. They begin to speak to one another about these accusations. Malachi's accused them of several things, of, of uh, you know, questioning God's love and being inappropriate in their worship, insincere in their worship, half-hearted in their worship, giving God leftovers and keeping the best for themselves and uh, forsaking the covenant. And so they've been accused of all these things. And now they come together And take counsel to one another. They speak to each other. And in verse 16, the Lord listened and heard them. The Lord now is is pleased with their repentance. They come together in the presence of the Lord, not to complain, but to plan an appropriate response to the charges that have been brought upon them by the prophet. And they come up with their own response without any prompting from the prophet or any word from the Lord. But they, they, they respond with repentance to these charges that have been leveled against them. And verse 16, a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. And so they come up with their own response and they write a book of remembrance. Probably a book that records the names of those who fear the Lord and those who desire to worship him sincerely and meditate upon His name, and focus on His glory and His majesty. Those who who are responding to this accusation with repentance, they recognize their sinfulness, their unworthiness, they come together and they sign this book, making a commitment, a covenant, to fear the Lord, to meditate upon His name, and to walk in obedience no matter what. There have been no promises well, you know um, just you've spoken harshly and that word brings them to repentance and they record their names 
as those who desire to worship the Lord in spirit and truth, those who desire to walk in obedience, they publicly commit themselves to follow the Lord and pledge themselves to seek the Lord in reverence and awe over their own comfort. And so the Malachi preaches, and there's a response. There's a faithful remnant of the people who sign this book, committing themselves to serve the Lord and to do that which is pleasing in His sight, to reverence Him and to focus on Him and His glory and His character and His nature. His name represents His character, all He is, all His nature. So they pledge to worship Him in spirit and truth. And so the prophet accuses them. They respond with repentance. A remnant responds with repentance. And then God responds to their repentance. Verse 17, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, my treasured possession, my special treasure. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. And so the Lord responds to the people's repentance. He says, a day is coming. And then, and then verse 4, he talks about the day of the Lord. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1, for behold, the day is coming. And so there is a day in the future that is coming where the difference between God's people and, uh, the, other, and the wicked will be made plain. A future day is coming. Right now, you might not be able to tell the difference. Right now, God's people, even these people who signed this book, might be experiencing difficult circumstances, a hard time. And the wicked appear to be prospering. Everything seems to be going good in this world, this fallen world that is ruled by Satan. Uh, God's people are suffering. The wicked people are prospering. Right now, you might not see the results, the blessings of following God. It might be difficult for, more, for God's people now, but a day is coming when the difference will be made plain. You shall discern between the, wicked, the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not, on the day that is coming, a future day. Not today, but a future day is coming. And on that day, the repentant will be like the Lord's jewels, his treasured possession. And you know, the Lord owns everything. He is the creator. He is the owner. We talked about when we talked about the tithe. He is the owner of everything. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills too. And the king owns everything within his kingdom. Rules everything within his kingdom. But the king also has a special treasured possession: the crown jewels, those that the, the, those those jewels that are especially his. And that's what he describes as these repentant people. They will be his treasured possession. Among everything in his kingdom, everything that, that, that is his, he holds back a part of all of that as a special treasure, a private collection, a personally valued possession, a special treasure. Those whose names are written in the book of remembrance will personally belong to the Lord on the day of His coming, on the day of the Lord, a special treasured possession that He will preserve, that He will protect, that He will hold close to His heart in that coming day. 
And so uh, on that day, they will not only be spared, but they will be treasured, protected as a special personal possession. They will be protected from the coming judgment just as a man spares his own son who serves him. And so those repentant people uh, receive God's affection and God's care and God's protection and God's provision. And God will make a clear distinction between those who serve Him and those who practice wickedness. God will make a clear distinction between those who serve Him and those who only serve themselves. You will discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve Him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. So the wicked, the the, the repentant, will be God's special treasure, but the wicked will be burnt up. The day will come burning like an oven. All the proud, yes, those who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up. They will be consumed by his wrath. On that future day of the Lord and all the things that they have uh, acquired for themselves through their oppression, through their injustice, through their twisting of of righteousness, through their giving of bribes, through their uh, theft, all those things that they have accumulated for themselves, that will be burned up too. Not only will they be burned up, but all their stuff will be burnt up and they will be completely cut off. They will leave them neither root nor branch. So the wicked will be consumed. All that they have acquired and accumulated and treasured, that will all be consumed. It will be a very clear distinction between those who serve the Lord and those who serve themselves. The judgment will be swift and total. Nothing will be left. And so Malachi tells us, don't be jealous of the wicked who are appearing to prosper. Don't look at them and and desire uh, what's happening to them because a day is coming when the distinction will be made clear. You might be suffering now. They might be prospering now, but a day is coming. Don't be jealous of the wicked and what they have and what they've accumulated and how well they appear to be doing. Don't be jealous of what the wicked have because a day is coming and there will be a stark contrast. The day will hold an unquenchable fire for the wicked, but notice for the righteous. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise. You know, so the sun, the hot, the fire consumes the wicked, but the very same sun is a son of righteousness to the to the repentant. And the same heat that brings destruction to the wicked brings healing and comfort to the righteous. The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. Not now, but on a day that's coming. And you will trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. They have been consumed, and you'll just walk on uh, the remnants of them on the day that I do this, says the Lord. So the sun will bring 
healing and blessing. Those who fear God will be restored to fullness of life and peace. The wicked have been reduced to ashes and the righteous will walk over those ashes. Evil will be totally eradicated and stomped to nothing by God and His people. And so, uh, uh, God is glorified in the salvation of His people and the destruction of the wicked. God's kingdom cannot fully come until evil is destroyed, until evil is eradicated. God's kingdom can't fully come until those who do evil and practice wickedness are consumed by His holiness, consumed by His wrath. God's kingdom can't fully come until those who oppress, those who are violent, those who are selfish, those who enrich themselves by robbing from others, those who twist justice, those who give bribes, those who create moral and social chaos, those who call evil good and good evil. God's kingdom can't come until those people are consumed by His wrath, until evil is eradicated. But when that day comes, the God of justice will come and make all things right. The repentant are his special possession, and the wicked and evil are annihilated, destroyed, consumed by his wrath. God is the God of justice, and on his day, everything will be made right. Today, things don't work the way they're supposed to. We live in a fallen world ruled by Satan. And God's people can expect difficulty and hard circumstances. Can expect that the wicked will prosper, but a day is coming when God will make a clear distinction between those who serve Him and those who serve themselves, and everything will be made right. And so Malachi makes clear, and the rest of Scripture makes clear, that serving God before the day of the Lord uh, may not lead to the full and prosperous, pain-free life that we desire. We might look around and see those who hate God seem to be doing much better than we are. But God's work on the great and final day will make everything right. The work that Christ began when He came the first time will be gloriously completed when He comes again. And, and as we live between the first and second comings of Jesus, we live in a time when the kingdom of God is already but not yet. We're called not to look at our circumstances to see if God loves us. But we're called to look at the cross. You know, Paul tells us in Romans, He did not spare His own Son. You wonder if God loves you? Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at what's going on in your life. Don't look at what you have and what you don't have. Don't look at your neighbors and what they have. You want to know if God loves you? Look at the cross of Jesus Christ. And see God's love. Don't look at your circumstances. Look at the the cross and see the love of Jesus. And believe that He did not withhold His own Son. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if He will give us His own Son, He will give us all things. And uh, even if He never gives another thing... He can give no greater gift than what He's already given us in His Son. So don't look at your circumstances. Look at the cross. And as we live between the first and second comings of Jesus, we live in a time when the the kingdom of of God is already but not yet. We need to follow the example of the repentant in verse 16 and commit ourselves 
to, to, to sign our names, to make a pledge, to make a commitment to serve God no matter what, no matter what our circumstances might be like. As we live in this time before, between this, the first and second coming of Jesus, before things change, before the wicked are judged, before the righteous are rewarded, that faithful remnant committed to serve God, no matter what the circumstances of their life. And that's an example that we need to follow. Publicly and unconditionally bind ourselves to God and believe that God takes special notice of the repentant and makes them His special treasure and He will preserve them on the day that comes. Alright, so uh, uh, people are accused of, of speaking harshly against God. A small remnant comes together and are repentant and commit to follow God no matter what. And God says a day is coming where there will be a clear distinction between the righteous and the wicked. A day is coming, a future day is coming, and in the in-between the in time, remember the law of Moses. And so as you're waiting for that coming day, what do you do, verse 4? Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all of Israel with the statutes and judgments. So remember the covenant. Remember God's law that he has given through Moses. And so, you know, God has, God redeemed his people by his grace. He brought them out of Egypt. He brought them to Mount Sinai. And then he gave the law to tell them how to re- live as redeemed people. And now the Old Testament closes with that same call. Remember the covenant. Remember the law. You are my people. You are my special treasured possession, and the law tells you how you are to live as redeemed people. It doesn't tell you how to be redeemed. You've been redeemed by His grace, but it tells you how to live as redeemed people. To live in accordance with His covenant. Remember the law. And so in this in-between time, when you're living in these difficult circumstances, but looking for the coming day of the Lord, just remember the law. Remember the covenant. Uh, do that which uh, God has commanded you to do. Live as redeemed people, remember the law, and look forward to the day. And then verse 5, closing words of the uh, Old Testament. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And so, God promises a messenger... To come, and this is this messenger was first spoken of in chapter 3, verse 1. I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord. And now he, he identifies that first messenger, the prophet Elijah. The prophet Elijah will come before the, the coming, the great and dreadful day of the Lord. The prophet, I will send a messenger to prepare the people for the coming of that day. And Elijah was a, an incredible servant of God. One of only two people in the Scripture to avoid physical death. Who's the other? Enoch. All right, so Enoch and Elijah uh, uh, spared physical death. 
And Elijah will come to prepare God's people for the coming day of the Lord, the coming of the King. And in Matthew chapter 11, verse 14, Jesus declares that John the Baptist was a fulfillment of this prophecy. And so the messenger to prepare the way. In the spirit of Elijah, John the Baptist comes and, uh, uh, you know, Malachi speaks of John the Baptist coming in the spirit of Elijah. And then there's 400 years of prophetic silence between Malachi and Matthew. And then John the Baptist comes and breaks that prophetic silence. And so this passage is really a bridge between the Old and New Testaments. And God ends the Old Testament with a promise that almost seems out of place. You know, uh, uh, the promise, this messenger to prepare the people for the coming great and dreadful day of the Lord. Verse 6, He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Malachi hadn't said anything about generational strife. He hasn't said anything about conflict between fathers and their children. He's talked about the, the people's uh, lack of response to, uh, to God and, and accusing God and speaking harshly against God, questioning God's love and being half-hearted in their worship. He hasn't said anything about generational strife. But this final promise promises the turning of the hearts of the father to the children and the hearts of the children to, uh, to their fathers. And so, I think this promise shows the importance of the family and God's plan and purpose for His people. We talked about this already in Malachi. You remember, uh, what, it, what does God say that He hates in Malachi? God hates what? Chapter 2, verse 16. God hates divorce. God hates divorce because He loves what? He loves the family. And the family has an important part in his plan and his purpose. The family was the first institution that he created. The family was the basic building block of society. And fathers have a duty and responsibility to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers have a, uh, parents. Parents have a responsibility to teach their children, to teach their children to the law, for the law to be what they talk about when they're sitting at the table, when they're walking down the road. Uh, the, the parents have a responsibility to teach the children the ordinances of God, the law of Moses. And so we see the importance of the family and God's plan and purpose for His people in the closing words of the Old Testament. Fathers are, fathers are to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And how are children to respond to their parents? Obedience and honor. Children are to honor their parents. And so this is covenant language. The fathers will teach the law to their children. And the children will respond to their parents with honor and obedience. And remember, the very first commandment with a promise is the command to honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God has given to you. And so Malachi uses this important truth as a summary of the covenant and refers to that first command with a promise to honor your father and your mother. And so this messenger will prepare the hearts of the people and he summarizes the covenant with that command for fathers to raise their children, to teach their children, 
and for children to respond to their parents with honor and obedience because the family is God's basic building. But He created the family before He created the state. He created the family before He created the church. God loves the family and it has an important part in His plan. And so Malachi uses that to summarize the covenant, the law of Moses. And he also ends the Old Testament with a warning, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. The Old Testament began with a curse because of the sin in the garden. Cursed is the ground before you. And he ends the Old Testament with the promise of a messenger who will turn the hearts of the people so the curse can be avoided and his people can be blessed. And so he, he, he begins with chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, Cursed is a lamb before you, but my messenger is going to come and turn the hearts of the people so that I will not judge the land with a curse, but with blessing. And so this, this curse motif brackets the Old Testament. And then we see in the New Testament that Jesus comes and becomes the curse for us. And so this passage is a bridge between the Old and the New Testament. We talked about Galatians chapter 3 Sunday. You know, Jesus became cursed for us because cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And so as New Testament believers, we have the privilege of knowing uh, uh, the fulfillment and John the Baptist and the spirit and power of Elijah. John the Baptist coming and pointing to Jesus, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world, pointing to Jesus who will become the curse, take the curse for us. Jesus who is the incarnate Word of God, the Word become flesh, God's final Word to take away the sin of the world and to make us ready for that coming day, that great and final day. And so, God calls His people to be repentant and to recognize that in this world, you will have trouble. You won't always see the benefits of serving the Lord. And it's going to look like the righteous are suffering and the evil are prospering. But a day is coming when there will be a separation. And those who have been repentant will be God's special possession and those who have persisted in their wickedness will be annihilated and destroyed and all those who have turned their hearts to the Lord in repentance and faith and put their trust in Jesus will be saved on that great and terrible day all right questions about Malachi all right Good, good. Right, next week, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, uh, uh, wisdom literature. There are three wisdom books in the Old Testament. Proverbs, Job, which we've already studied, and Ecclesiastes. And so uh, read through Ecclesiastes and, and uh, make notes of your questions. <laughs> read through Ecclesiastes. Very different literature than the law, the narrative, and the prophets. And so... Uh, uh, I, I put it off the last because I needed to study it more. <laughs> All right, any other thoughts, comments, questions? All right, if not, let's, let's pray together. Lord God, we, we confess 
so often we are distracted by our circumstances. God, we look at things that are going on around us and we are tempted to question your, your love. If God's all-powerful and if God's all-loving and God's infinitely wise, why, why aren't things going better for me? I, I, I try to serve. I try to, uh, to walk in obedience, Lord, and, and, uh, and we see our circumstances and we're distracted. We, we're tempted to question your love. Lord, I pray that you help us in those days to not look at our circumstances but look at the cross. Anytime we are tempted to question your love, Lord, help us to lift our eyes and see the cross and see your love by sending your Son, Jesus, to take the punishment, the penalty we deserve, and to say that you did not hold back your own Son from us, but you loved us and gave him for us that we might have life. And so, Lord, when we're tw- tempted to accuse, to question, Lord, help us focus our eyes on, on Jesus. And to believe that you did not hold back your own son. You've given us the greatest possible gift you can possibly give. You've given us the greatest demonstration of your love. And so Lord, guard our hearts against ever doubting your love or accusing you of doing wrong. And Lord, we pray that as we live in this in-between time, when there is difficulty, there is persecution, there is suffering, Suffering because of our own sin, suffering because of the sin of others, and sometimes just suffering so that we might grow and mature and learn our dependency, our weakness. So many purposes that you use suffering to make us more like Jesus. Lord, we pray that we would uh, persevere, that we would endure, that we would do that which is pleasing in your sight, even in the days of suffering and persecution. Looking forward to the coming day when you will make it right. So Lord, grant us faith, grant us hope, grant us perseverance. Lord, help us to do that which is right and good and pleasing in your sight so that you might be glorified and that we might experience your joy. And we thank you that you've made your people a special treasured possession that you will protect in the coming day. And God, we also ask that you come quickly. Lord, help us to pray the last prayer of Scripture. Come, come, Lord Jesus, and make all things right. And until then, grant us the grace to persevere. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, thank you all.